0: and we will explore the strange, unusual, upbeat, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now we got a fun episode today. We're going to tickle the fringe a little bit here. We're going to Santa Monica, California, to talk to Kevin Bradley of a little place called The Church of Type. Now, he is, in fact, an artist and is not some fanatical leader. Uh, he, now, he does use 800-year-old technology, um, printing technology, but he does not use this to spread some fanatical religious word uh, and propaganda across the entire state of California. No, he creates incredible art, uh, modern art, with antiquated methods. This is amazing stuff. There's going to be, I've got incredible pictures up on the website, up on Pinterest.com. you got to check this stuff out now. If you're unfamiliar with the printing press, a little man named Johannes Gutenberg, then I suggest you listen to the bonus episode that is attached to this particular episode where you can learn from a man named Mark Barbour of the International Printing Museum, and he was kind enough to sit down with me and explain what is the importance of this thing. You know, everyone says it's the most important invention in modern, in in human history, period. Um, I gotta know about this thing, so if you don't know, Go check out that bonus episode to get you caught up. It'll bring you up to speed so that you can understand just how amazing what Kevin does, how amazing his stuff really is. Um, so let's get right into it. Let's talk to this guy, Kevin Bradley. Thanks for being on the program today.
1: What a great pleasure to be here to have
0: you to host you guys. Well, thank you very much. Now we're sitting here in the main the main hall of the Church of Type. Is that correct?
1: It is correct. Now you are in the inner sanctum.
0: I am. So, have you, did you hold services earlier today, or how did that?
1: We did. We did. You know, our policy here is to uh, bring your own snakes, really, and uh, <laughs> that seems to work pretty well. <laughs> so, why do you call the church a type? Well, you know, it's it's a repository for all this beautiful old uh, letterpress type, which you know, letterpress was invented by Mr. Uh, invented by Mr. Gutenberg back in 1439. And a lot of the type in use that I have in here comes from, you know, 1700s, 1800s when it was manufactured. And so that's my appeasement to the, uh, the craft and uh, hand technology that, that created it, I suppose. Oh, the, so the, it, it's reverential to me. The church part is. The, the church part is. Are it, you, gives, it gives it a proper perspective in my, in my mind anyway.
0: Now, are you a particularly religious man? No. You're not. So, oh, I don't know if that was... Um, so this has kind of become your religion. This Exactly. Uh, this is it. Um, it's a pretty amazing place. Now, how would you describe what you do here? In your own words.
1: Well, I seem to be a unique animal, especially here for the West Coast, in that I'm still using this this type and this equipment, these presses, as it was originally, you know, invented. I'm working on the same playing field as my heroes from the 171800s 1800s who who did this kind of work, I don't use, as to say, I don't use the computer in the process of my work. So I keep it old school, real, down and dirty, made by hand, which entails, you know, creatively, you know, my Macintosh is a pencil and a piece of paper.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it brings up an interesting point that uh, when you're looking around this place, and I'm going to put a lot of pictures up on the website it, this, it, it's kind of like if you were to take, um, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it, this is an analog version of Photoshop. I mean, it's honestly, if you took every aspect of what you can do digitally on Photoshop and made it into a real world artifact, a functional real world artifact, this is it. I well, mean, exactly. You, exactly. Can do you can do everything in this shop uh, in, in 400 days that you can do on Photoshop in four
1: minutes. Yeah, that sounds about Is that the average? <laughs> but
0: it's, it's amazing to see all this stuff. Because, I mean, when you look around, you have, you know, 16,000 fonts. Is that right? 1,600. 1,600.
1: Fonts of movable type okay. from six point. Well, six point body was the smallest they, they could manufacture and keep it uniform. But yeah. you could get two point type on a six point body. that's incredibly tiny you know it takes you have to wear magnifying glasses to see right it's like doing surgery you remember that game operation (laughs) of course you know gravity is a bitch we say that (laughs) right but and then it goes up to you know wood types As type got bigger they made it out of carpet out of wood backwards and it's lighter you know cheap wood was plentiful but i've got letters up to you know three feet tall
0: three feet tall what do you use that for
1: well for banners signs You know, they made big things as well as small things.
0: Right. I guess that's true. Um, Now, you've described, I'm not describing you as this, sir. You've described yourself as this, but you're a Luddite. Is that true? My second one I've had on the show.
1: Not wholly and totally, but yes, as, as much as I can be. Why is that? What's your fear of technology? I don't have a fear of technology. I just choose not to sit in front of the box. I don't like it. It doesn't like me. Uh, You know, coming up in college, studying graphic design, right as the Macintosh came on the scene, remember the Mac Classic, Hmm. tiny little screen about four by six inches, maybe bitmap. But, you know, we had 100 kids going through this program, four instructors, maybe 25 little computers. Well, every time I would get near it, the damn thing would not work. And so everyone hated me because all four instructors would be huddled around me the whole time going, wow, you know, I've never seen this before. Wow, look <laughs> at this. And no one could get any assistance or help. And they, they just hated me, you know, and I hated it. So I had a hate-hate relationship with the machine. Right. And it, as it progressed and came about, I could still, you know, they just won't work correctly around me. Yeah. And things that take me, take you five minutes, take me two hours right. of pulling my hair out. I, I had a full head of hair on I started you know? <laughs> So... It got, and, and plus, w- when the computer came out, especially as a young designer coming up, you know, everybody had the same bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sat down in front of the box with no ideas, and that's pretty quickly everyone went that way. But you're playing you know, and, and constructing, whatever. But everything, in the end of the day, the machine swallowed a lot of who you are. It was hard to, to find yourself through that device. And I don't care you know, how great of an artist you are. There's no human interaction between a pixel. A, a pixels a, you know a, a pixel. Yeah, so I didn't much care for it. And so I, I was looking to move away from it early in my career. So then I went through uh, the fine Art painting program. and that allowed me the freedom of color and and you know movement, making a mess, and finding out what art was outside of that those constraints of being a designer. And I fell in love with that and and that was really great. And then afterwards, as I finished that, portion up i found the the printmaking department and there was an old letter press back in the corner covered in dust and i fished that thing out and cleaned it off and the idea of of manufacturing of doing your design work and printing it by yourself taking the middleman out of that equation seemed really you know sexy and awesome and you might might be able just to do work by hand and so i i approached it from that angle and and you know, 25 years later, here we are.
0: So you went and so you found this thing and you just dusted it off. They were like, Here, please take it. We don't need this thing. Well,
1: no, no, the, they didn't give it to me, but, but we got it out and got it to use. Yeah. And they had a box, a hell box. It's called a hell box of type when it's all mixed up together <laughs> yeah. under the sink. And so we got in there and dug it out into, you know, A through Z. They were all mixed up, but at least I could spell things and start moving around. And then that was a whole nother, you know, education. You had to become. You have to become a master of the, of the process to make this work. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly like being Photoshop. You know, I have to make this my bitch.
0: Right. So now, to speak. That's very true. Um, everyone's going to ask me, what is a hell box? Let's go into that really quickly. Oh, a hell
1: box is an old printing term of, of when type would get mixed up and dumped, whatever. It would go into a hell box. And then the, uh, the young intern's job would be to sort out the hell box. Oh, so you know, it's just it's loose letters. The, this came up from the 1400s. You had the apprentice printer that spent, what, 14 years, whatever the indentured servitude was on that. <laughs> yeah. And they got all the crappy jobs in the shop. And so the hell box, everybody has a hell box. Do you have one? I've had a couple over the years. I've got a bucket out back.
0: Do you have one box. now? Yeah, it's all I back. want to put pictures up on the website of your hell box. Okay. Um, so people can get a really good sense of what this is. It's truly hell here at the church of type. (laughs) Uh, So now let's go back to something really important. We glossed over it, Kevin, and I refuse to to move away from this. Bring it. Um, So you said that machines around you go awry. Now, I want to just make it a point here to bring real world into this. I can attest for your unnatural and uncanny ability to destroy machines because I had trouble getting my computer to work when we first started. And you can attest to this, right? Oh,
1: yeah. It's...
0: It, what happened? I, what do you do? What what's this magical thing it's that you
1: brainways. have? Brainwaves. Th- I think it's it's either energy or brainwaves, but it's.
0: Do you think it's real? Now let me ask you a serious question. I think question. it's real. I think it's real. You so you really think this is? You have some kind of. Oh, I, I
1: this it's followed me for twenty five years.
0: What other kind of stuff happens?
1: You know, just normal normal things. No don't judgment, work. Kevin. I no, no normal things to just up. don't work. I mean, you can, I can you know hit a button, the machine goes blank. You know, people are like, wow, you know. The, the conversation always like that. Shouldn't be, you know. Yeah. And it just goes. Never had wrong. seen that before. But, I've, but I've got uh, two girls who come and help me. Both of them do, you know, graphic design out in the real world, and they so they're my helpers. And I have to stay, you know, fifteen feet away from the machine, <laughs> and they can do something for me in five minutes. And, you know, just, it's an ordeal. It's just an ordeal, you know, for me That's to get amazing. near it. Well, because here's what's kind of funny about that. Just to
0: lay this out, you started into a profession that at the time did not necessarily require a computer but since that point the path clearly for graphic designers is along the digital path. Oh yeah, oh, yeah we. I mean 100%. There's 100%. not a single person yeah. after outside of this room who does incredible high level graphic design work that's not on a computer at some no, point.
1: No, there there are people around the country who do. Oh, there are. Oh, there are. There are. And I, and I'm one of. I've I've been in it since, you know, 88. Right in there, 18 you know. or 19? Really, really. really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Joke, I'm joking. Um, so now, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, you are, you became successful along what would almost be the path of most resistance. Um, and yet, I think in some weird way, it kind of stoked a very unique, not only creative design, but also creative vision that only you could really do along this path
1: it's been an interesting choice you know i've had to work really hard this is really labor intensive just there's no shortcut to this kind of work and this process yeah it does not do what you want it to do it does what it does yeah and and you have to you know i worked with an old guy who was about 85 years old and he his big joke was if you do it right the first time you don't have to do it again but it was really (laughs) true you know um so there's just been no shortcut. There's been no business model to come up against. I yeah. had to invent a lot of things. And we just have to invent a way to, to do it. But we're still all the love and care that goes into design and typography. You know, that revolves around, in this situation, it revolves around the choices I can make within that space. You know, if I only have 10 fonts of type, then... You know, a year later, everything's going to look really alike because Mm -hmm. I don't I only have 10 choices I can make within that space. Right. So that's why I've devoted my life to trying to find and and rescue, you know, all this old type to, to play with.
0: Yeah. And you've amassed quite a collection. Uh, now you did you did have one kind of really interesting statement now me I, I'm I wouldn't I'm not a, a doomsday prepper by any stretch of the imagination, but I do fantasize about what would happen in a zombie apocalypse. and you've been quoted as saying that if the power went out in Los Angeles you could produce the LA Times oh yeah right I'm, from over
1: overnight I'm Rupert Murdoch, you know <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> like that just oh, yeah, like that you're. <laughs> It's all coming out of here. We don't need power until power's restored. We don't need no stinking power. That's right. For
0: 48 hours, you'll be the most powerful exactly. man in the, in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> could you really? Could you really replicate a, a newspaper in here?
1: Yeah, this is how they were made.
0: And so you could do in that. the day, yeah, yeah.
1: It's How the newspapers were set by hand, all the type. Wow. Teams of people setting type in two-inch strips, you know. And yeah. They were printed. There were teams of people who set it up. Teams of people who tore it down and put it back up, you know, and that. Just oh. went
0: on and on and on. So that's how the hell box would happen is you would have the type from the newspaper and they didn't want to put it back. They just dump it R&B in the box. It
1: spilled on the floor, you know, what else. Yeah. Gravity, like I said, gravity, not your friend.
0: No, that definitely isn't. Like is, it is its not. Um, now, you kind of describe this, what you do is kind of like a marriage between like your artistic freedom and. Um, Between painting, because you have a painting degree as well, right? Right. Um, So, is that kind of how this all came to be? Is that you kind of had this vision that like this could be the unique point for you? Well,
1: it was trying to depart, trying to get the human touch, hand drawn type and image. You know, especially as the digital world came out, that 20 years ago, you know, even not a lot of people were able to get that out. Um, So, you're drawing type scanning in, but it's still going through that digital thing. So, this was just a beautifully direct method that was feasible and doable. And somehow I've st- stuck with it all these years. And I'm able to, you know, I've had to acquire the skill set to do it as well, but to make anything I want. And, you know, I work within a grid. Letterpress basically is a grid system, points and picas and things. It's like Tetris, things mm. fit together and you stamp it. So you have to learn to deny the grid. So I'm, you know, I had to become Neo and the uh, Matrix and operate outside of that system. And and I've been able to do that pretty successfully. And that's by drawing and carving straight into blocks again, you know, type an image to make it move and seeing and become full color. And now that I'm making uh, fine art with it, I'm completely denying the grid i'm denying the letter for him and, and using it in a different method
0: right um now you you compared yourself to neo now he saved the, the the world do you think that that's in your future as well
1: no, okay. <laughs> Honestly, no. i wanted you to say yes <laughs> but you know we do what we can hey we do what we can you don't know we, we do what we can on a daily basis that's all we can do you don't know we uh, have to be very prolific to survive and so I publish or perish, you know, is a mm-hmm. real thing for, yeah. for young artists and designers.
0: Well, since we're on that path, I was going to get on this later on, but I think this is a good place to do it because you have a lot of um, kind of unique, I mean, because you do obviously a lot of posters. We'll talk about some of the specific stuff. We're going to get into pro wrestling as a, as, a, uh, as a little foreshadowing there. But, you know, your robot series is kind of what you're talking about where you're using type to create images that have nothing to do with type. Right. Is that kind of what you're saying? Right, right. So how would you describe like your robot series?
1: Awesome. Just <laughs> super awesome. Period. You know, those came about after, after doing this on deadline. You know, plus we work on a deadline, and today in the 20th century, 21st century, whatever century we're in, how I, can I don't, die. I don't remember. But, you know, I'm still doing. 14th century technology in the 20th century overnight you know people want this ship by tomorrow and, and somehow i have to make it i have to design it create it make it
0: yeah, you're in 21st century deadlines exactly right, right. And <laughs> right. so that, that's real
1: and so that creates a lot of stress and, and problems and i forgot even where i was going with this what was your original question
0: <laughs> uh you said the robot stuff you did is amazing I was okay talking so about the, the robots
1: <laughs> I, I had a, i'm not cutting that part out. i had come out to California. To have a sabbatical i'd never had a vacation i'd worked my youth away for something like 16 years straight no vacation Oy. so i took six months i came out set up in my friend's backyard out here in uh, santa monica and i brought uh, i called it my mobile meth lab i hauled a little u-haul <laughs> out here from tennessee full of type and i made a homemade press in the backyard but i only brought one letter of each alphabet from you know very tiny, one one pica, twelve point size, up to you know two feet tall. So, so I knew I wanted to play with type. I didn't know where it was going to go. I wanted, to, I want, you know, I became a child again in the backyard playing, basically. And so I think my audience now is probably you know twelve year old kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know where it's going, but <laughs> right. I I started playing with the type form, and I was doing. Typographical, we'll call them compositions, but just playing with the letter form, and it was moving around. And it's somewhere in that process, I got the idea that I could use the letter to draw with, and started playing with that idea. And then, you know, magically, monsters and robots just started coming right out of that. And that's tamed myself. I, I think of my main job is well, I, it's it's a double-sided coin, but one people hire me to make things and i do and when i'm left on my own devices i want to entertain myself if i can make myself smile or laugh that's my job and that has served me well you know having a sense of humor in your work too has always been one of my fortes but these things you know these these are as close to painting as i can get in this process because they're one of a kind and i'm free of the grid and i can there's no rule, and you can't mess up a painting. That's rule one. Right. But, so, you know, you just keep printing on it. Keep working on it. Eventually, something happens.
0: Well, you know, so you, 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 were, you called yourself, and I, can I, I'm going to quote you here, you said, I'm the Van Gogh of this shit. <laughs> and I believe that, but after hearing that description, you're more like the Walter White of this shit. Exactly. And, I, you know, I really, and this is, I'm not blowing smoke anywhere when I say this, but really the paintings that you've done are kind of like an evolution, right? Like you have to, this is such a process that you have to master for years just to do it correctly in the most functional form. Much less to take it to an artistic level requires a mastery that is so high that requires so much time and effort. Um, but you're there, and I would say that there's very few people who could actually be on that level. So I happen to agree with your Van
1: Gogh statement, sir. Yeah, I may have to cut off in here to sell some of this stuff before it's over. But they're gonna love me when I'm dead, either way. D- <laughs> but it's just important to keep to keep working. Yeah, always important. And it's important to keep involving. And you know, all the painters listening to this will know this when I say this. When you get away from your painting, it changes these have evolved over a period of three years already. And as I come back to it with a six month break because I get busy taking commissions, I don't have time for for this. So I love, like this week was great. I I just got back to them after maybe five months. Mm. So they're not where I left them and my mind is not where I left off. And so Mm. that's the battleground and we have to re-find ourselves, we have to reconnect. And so it's always moving, the field's changing, and that's what it is to be, you know, to try to make art.
0: No, that's that's really true. I mean, it is a, it's a very uh, fluid process. I mean, I don't have um, this any kind of skill like that at all. I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination. So I have, you know, my level of what I appreciate is very low compared to someone who's an artist who understands the craft. Like, you understand how difficult this is. So if you were to see someone else do this, you would... Um, you know, appreciate. Well, you know, I,
1: I've spoken on the college level for twenty years, off and on. You know, up and down, mostly on the east, east of the Mississippi River, east side. But you know, my advice to college kids always is, don't let your lack of talent slow you down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I haven't. <laughs> you just can't, you know, because uh, we all, we all evolve. Yeah. Our, our whole life. Yeah. And I'm at the age where I can see around corners now. I can see where things are going to go before yeah. they get there. A lot of times, and yeah. that saves me just a lot of, you know. A lot of things you don't have to do when you're 50 that you had to do when
0: you're 30. No, that's true. Although I do have to disagree with you. I, I think it's true of myself. I haven't let my lack of talent get in the way of anything that I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> however, there are several people that I wish would stop doing what well, they're exactly. doing for well, their lack know, of talent. Like I say, double we A's, are in L.A. <laughs> right. Um, now, let's, let's talk about your, your acquisition process. You've got quite a bit here. Um, I'm going to... I can't even, I'm looking around and I'm trying to find words to explain what I'm looking at. And I I just, I'm going to put up pictures. It's the only way to really see this. Um, But how do you acquire all this stuff? Because you are dealing with a technology that's so old that I imagine most of the stuff that you want is either um, destroyed, um, propping up someone's door, or is in a museum.
1: Yeah, it's, well, the game has changed on me since I came out to the West Coast because it's, it's really harder to find out here and it's more expensive and I don't have the storage you know, back in the South, you would you would get out and bang on doors and get on the grapevine. There's always an old cooter in every town who collected stuff, and you'd find him.
0: There were five words in that sentence that I had no idea what it meant. Uh, I don't know yeah, what the exactly. grapevine is or what a cooter. A, a coo- your a definition coo- of cooter coo- and mine are very a coo- different. A cooter is a cranky old guy. Oh, know? got it. Okay, and okay. the grapevine is just people so who you'd, uh, you'd find him. Okay, but
1: but I would find him, and you know, the guys who I found are all probably mostly eighty five percent of them have passed away now, mm. but. They were all printers, spent their life printing, and they all printed until the day they died. Almost every one of them. But I learned to meet them and make the deal. And the deal was, you know, take them a big stack of posters, show them, show them what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That would get them excited. They would see I was carving blocks and, you know, reviving, and keeping it old school. And they liked all that. And then uh, the next portion was to say, you know, Jim Bob or whoever it was, I'd like to get your stuff when you're done with it. <laughs> and they really appreciated that. You're getting that, on that in years. Showing, you know, that right? was showing that you understood that, that it meant something to them and, and yeah. it was theirs. But then, you know, the kicker was to say, but I'd like to go ahead and pay you for it now. <laughs> and so I was able to, to pay those old guys some cash in their later years and that meant something to them because they wanted to see their type be used. They did mm-hmm. not want to see it in the flea markets and the swap meets. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, 20 years ago, the situation was that the type drawers themselves were worth maybe 30, 35 bucks each. And the type was worthless, pretty much. And it was all getting dumped and hauled away because of the, the craze to put your knickknacks in the type drawers was all the rage. So I rescued, you know, I was able to rescue a lot of type during that period. And that kind of worked. That kind of worked. And, uh, you know, I've got a lot of old ghosts in here with me, some old printer ghosts. I mm-hmm. know I do.
0: So now, now when you say printer ghost, do you actually mean real ghosts? Or do you mean just the ghosts of the past? Or both? Uh, or both, both. Has there been crazy stuff that's happened in here?
1: No, out here it's been really mellow and cool. Yeah. Because I've got my dog's ashes in here. I think he protects me a little he bit. He keeps, keeps an me. eye on things? But my, my place in Knoxville was crazy haunted. Really? Oh yeah, nuts, nuts. Well, like what would happen? Every night I was there for 15 years, a light bulb would burn out every every single time. <laughs> every night? fortune in light bulbs, every night. And it was just nuts, Whoa. crazy stuff going on. I would be on the power equipment, and, you know, out of your peripheral vision, you would just see stuff happening, oh, and I would have to stop and say, you know, I'm going to have to get a priest in here and kick you guys out if you don't calm the hell down. I'm working on the saw, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> right. But it was nuts. It was kind of spooky. It was always spooky there. But out here, it's been really nice and mellow. I think, I think they, they like California. I think they're going to they chilled out a little bit. I think bit. they're all ready to come to the beach. It has and that effect. All cool now. It's all cool It's <laughs> It has that effect on people.
0: <laughs> That's pretty crazy. A light bulb of night. Now, I have to say, probably, just given our conversation, I don't know you very well, but Part of that may have been due to your ability to short out electricity on your yeah, own. Yeah, could be. Could be. It's know. not all. It, it may not all be from the ethereal plane.
1: Oh, I'm a crazy magnet. There's you're no <laughs> doubt about it. No that's, doubt about it.
0: That's pretty amazing. I guess you know what really freaked me out is if because you you're in a place with type and pictures. Has anything ever typed itself out to you?
1: No. I wish.
0: I'm looking at you. I, I feel wish. like, I I wish feel I like could, you want to if, say uh, yes. If
1: I could get ghosts to do my work for me, <laughs> life would be great. They wouldn't do
0: your work for you. They'd just scare the bejesus out of you. Like I a big
1: would... Ouija. It's like a big Ouija board in here, right? Come yeah. On, give, me, I, give us something. Yeah. Give us a sign.
0: Right. Give, give us a, a sign. sign. <laughs> uh, so, so when you weren't chasing old cooters in the South, how else did you get some of this equipment? Were you able to... Is flea market? Is that the only really place to get it? I mean...
1: Uh, flea market, uh, eBay. You know, eBay people sell oh. it. It's just crazy inflatable prices on eBay, you know. Yeah. And, uh... I, w- I would pay what I could pay a fair price. I helped set the price, you know, 20 years ago for what was a decent price for things. But yeah. people have money and time online, and you just can't. <laughs> there was a, there was I had a couple I of nemesis who were very wealthy individuals who would always outbid you, you know. But it's just harder and harder to find. And when you would would find it, like the, the old guys had, they had stuff, they had saws, they had. Cabinets, you know, they wanted you to take it all. They wanted you to clear it out. So you'd have to take a big truck Mm. and literally haul off a 20 foot truck and, you know, put what you didn't use in the basement. That was called the Graveyard of Broken Dreams down there. (laughs) But, you know, 30 tons of junk in the basement to get what you wanted out of
0: it. Right. Uh, Now, let's talk about these, these nemeses. Uh, So you, you have people that you, that you kind of have to battle with online to get some of this stuff. I
1: used to, I, I very seldom buy anything online anymore. I've, you know, I've got enough to bake a cake now. Yeah. And at some point, you know, storage in California is at a premium, you know, I've got 1500 square feet and it's pretty full.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Organized, but full. I'd like
1: to have more room, you know, so I had to downsize to get my collection here yeah and i had to really pack it by hand i had to invent a new way of packing small metal type i invented the super drawer of type
0: Ayo. that tm holds,
1: that instead of one font of type in a drawer it holds maybe 14 fonts
0: uh what was your can you can you tell me a little bit about your secrets or is that proprietary well that's
1: just you you stack you stack the letters upright because they only display or displace a small amount of space when they're upright as opposed to laid out flat in a traditional California job case it was called. Got it. We're one font per drawer. I couldn't bring 600 drawers a type so <laughs> right. I had to condense it and that took you know six months of hard labor. Yeah. To stack all the letters upright to get them here. But the uh, downside is every drawer weighs over 100 pounds now.
0: <laughs> Has it ever fallen out when you pull the drawer out?
1: Oh it's happened and you know and, the hell and box. Will do it, and that's. You, f- you'll hear me say, welcome to Letterpress. Right. You're not going home until you pick that up. <laughs> Sometimes it takes 12 hours for right. a drawer of small type.
0: Yeah. the police ever get called and you ever had kidnapping charges?
1: No, I mean, you know, police? I don't have to worry too much around, about thieves coming in and hauling away my stuff. Well, <laughs> I meant
0: you keeping peer people overnight against their will to put no, type no, away. No, no,
1: that's just part of their, you know. It's part of the job. Part of the deal. All right.
0: Uh, now, here's an interesting question I just thought of while I was sitting here. Are you, is this particular technology... The oldest technology that's currently being used today um, in its almost f- original
1: form. Is there you anything know, else maybe that's close maybe to 600? very Well, maybe one of, for sure. I mean, if you look at... Outside of like cooking, obviously. Like when the Smithsonian puts out their list of the most important 100 inventions in the history of the world, Mr. Gutenberg rings in about number one. Mm-hmm. So this is a direct descendant. You know, the machines I use, which are Vandercook proofing presses, you know, uh, back in the day you had the old iron hand presses where you cranked them sideways and it pressed straight down and it was great for printing books and type, but I have the cylinder presses, which were all the large, you know, printing companies had them and they were designed to put your type form on there that you've built and make an impression to see if all the letters print, because. All the letters never print. <laughs> what? So, so you get it, you get it together. If you think you're just going to stand there and ink it up and start printing, yeah, you're, you're going to be sadly mistaken. Usually, there's 10 to 20 letters. You have to physically bop them up. 10 to 20? Oh yeah, this stuff is old. It's been beat. It's beat on for 250 years. So, so you have to nudge it up with a piece of tape under it until it gets high enough to, you know, actually print. And then once they would get everything printing, they would slide them off of these machines and put them on their big automatic presses and make thousands of them, right? But these machines are great for me because I do small runs, mostly runs of 500 or less. You know, Last month, I did a 10,000 poster run.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But top speed, maybe 100 prints an hour on the big press and maybe 200 prints an hour by hand on, this, on the smaller press if it's running smoothly. And so every, if it's a four-color piece, that means it goes through the press four times. So, you know, it's just the nuts and bolts of all of that, but it, it's very demanding. And and so that's, you know, those are about 1950s machines. So that's the most modern portion of my collection is the, uh, the, the Vanderkoot presses. Right. But they're cylinders, so you can really print big, solid areas. Mm-hmm. When I carve wood blocks, you really get a beautiful impression. It's I don't know, 12 1,500 pounds per square inch pressure coming off the cylinder. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful print. Yeah. And uh, the, the clamshell presses that are in use for book arts are faster and easier and more automated too, but they just will not print the solid area that I require. Right. And plus, I can't mass produce these things either because I have so much ink coming off the blocks, mm. the paper will stick together like glue. So right. I have to hand stack them on a rack and let them dry you know naturally
0: right well does, does oil paint ever truly dry or just dry enough to- uh, yeah
1: yeah it does i, I well, ink does oh, okay o- oil paint depending on how thick yeah you know and yeah. i've got paintings that are 25 years old that you can stick a pen in and still get s- squeeze <laughs> ink out of them but oil paint's a different animal yeah but, but oil-based ink is really beautiful and it, it does i think it dries in a couple of days
0: so now, when you said that you have to go through this thing twice or four times four different colors, you have to do, so you you obviously get one color at a time. Right. So do you have to pull the parts of the poster out? I, I assume you don't exactly. ink certain parts. Exactly.
1: Um, you have to design it. You have to figure out how to make it uh-huh. and then figure out how to make it backwards, starting yellow. Oh, I forgot it. I didn't light even mention that part. So your last print will be black and that'll crop everything and, you know, yeah. hopefully fit together. Hopefully. Wow.
0: So um, I forgot about the backwards part. I guess there's not much to talk about that, but that's really Well, that's just crazy. part of the,
1: of the process of, of printing. Because everything I, you know, all the, all the type is made backwards. It, reads, it spells right to left. So right. it's, it's, I call it a, a dyslexic dream job. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it really is.
0: So if you can read it properly, uh, then...
1: Oh, I can totally read over your shoulder backwards, you know, through wow. a mirror, or whatever. But Holy cow. it's a skill set.
0: Um, now, you've described this as the art for the people. Actually, I, as I looked up, I just saw that that's actually on one of your posters. How and that's been my that?
1: slogan for you know twenty-five plus years. And the idea of the idea, you know, being a painter, loved it. Beautiful, but you spend all this time. You spend two hundred hours on a painting, which I'm back to doing with these damn robot prints. Mm. But the idea that I could spend that time carving wood blocks and then make ten thousand of them—that's the way to get your art out into the world and I, i've shipped prints all over the world for you know 25 years so i can mass produce through the machine but it's still got as much human touch and flavor in it as you can muster you know you you control every decision con- from letter spacing letting to type size you know you control everything mm-hmm. so if you're a if you're inclined to be you know really aimly compulsive in any of those areas it's, sure. it's it's a dream job. This is this is the job. this is the
0: career for you. It totally is. Um, now, you, so basically, what you're saying is, and I'm also stealing this from from something you've already said, but it's contemporary art with antiquated methods.
1: Exactly, exactly. I don't want to be a museum. I don't want to deal with any of that. I love using it in its intended way, but mm-hmm. I'm always trying to make something that lives and breathes in the now, but using the tools and methods of the past to do that
0: the past the distant past some distant would say. past sure uh, now let's let's talk about your career for a second how did you start your career how did you get into this as a form of financial gain
1: well i'm a terrible businessman i'll tell you that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, well when you sidestep the computer a of, uh, money and art through this but i didn't yeah. get to keep any of it so <laughs> there, there you go um, well i was i was you know Stayed in college uh, eight years, and, and during that time, towards the end of it, I, I loved college dis- too. I <laughs> had discovered uh, Hat print up in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and I was in Knoxville, two hundred miles east, about a three-hour drive. And that was the oldest poster shop running mm-hmm. continuously, I think, in America since eighteen seventy-nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I would drive up there, you know, leave Knoxville at four a.m., get up there by six, and I'd be like a little squirrel looking in the window waiting on somebody to come in so i could get in there and check it out but that place was magic to me and that's what inspired me to think that you know a dream situation for me so you know basically the day i left college i moved to nashville and showed up on the doorstep and said you know i'm I'm ready to work let's do this
0: and do they say we have to hire you Uh, first
1: yeah they're like well if you can make five posters by end of the day i'll give you a job you know and I had it done before lunch. My yeah, dad, so I say you did. Here's ten. <laughs> and so <laughs> I want to <we>, raise. <laughs> or, you know, a little over two years. I I had free reign to do what I wanted there, and it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Education. It was. It was grad school. Yeah. In a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. And so did you? What did you do with that knowledge? Did you? How long were you there? Just two years. A
1: little over two years, and then I had left and went back to the hills of East Tennessee. Um. Picked up a paintbrush again and started painting, making folk art paintings. Type an image on wood, and you'll see. You know, some of these prints came from from those sessions. Mm. And uh, I would paint all night, every night, for about six months, making uh, crazy, you know, country music inspired folk art. Really, coming out of the south down there, and a lot of my heroes. Where I had done my research while I was in Nashville. Was all about that, and that's where, that's where it started. And I got the idea to learn how to draw and paint type an image with the intention of bringing it back to you know, letterpress. So I had to deny you know, values. So it was all hard edge, hard shape, color shifts. So I had to invent you know, new vocabulary and a new way to do this. So when I started up a new poster shop you know, a year later, I had a body of work to cut into blocks and and hit the, hit the ground running with it yeah and that really got people excited because nobody was doing it back in 96
0: 97 were, because you were kind of making like funny posters to sell yeah it's kind of like analog memes in a yeah, way yeah yeah yeah. where you have to actually pay someone to give it to them instead of just sending it exactly. in an email or instagram and, or you know i
1: could make a thousand of them instead of one <laughs> right and i built it you know an empire on 20 dollar posters yeah you know
0: an empire, I like that.
1: Uh, I built my empire Empire on twenty dollars. And that posters. was the idea of art for the people, because then you could mass produce it. Yeah. And, and you had a body of work, and then you could, you know, then you could produce work, and people could hire you to make 10,000 posters. Yeah. And, but you, you had to, you know, I had to reinvent, and I consider it making prototypes. I'm always making prototypes with my artwork. Even because people haven't seen this in a hundred years. They haven't, they think it's silkscreen. They have no idea Mm -hmm. that it's even, someone's even doing it. So you make crazy stuff, mix color, you know, and just go nuts, have fun with it. But it it would attract people, clients, and, and I would get more work from that too. So it was just a lot of reinventing, you know, the wheel everywhere you turn. Yeah, almost,
0: almost literally. Because plus, it's a school of
1: hard knocks, and there's no pricing structure. You had to invent all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you end up at the end of the day, you end up giving away the design to charge for the printing or or whatever. And yeah. and I'm up against that here in California because people don't care. They don't care how much I bleed for this. They just want it tomorrow. They want it tomorrow.
0: <laughs> I I care, Kevin.
1: And that's that's you know what we we live amongst because it's the modern age. Yeah. And we have to deal with that.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's very true. You said, you know, Gutenberg ushered in the Renaissance, basically, with, with mass production of, of well, printed material. Well, it
1: changed humanity because books, till that point, were, you know, hand-scribed yeah. by monks, for the most part. Yeah. And illuminated manuscripts and whatnot, but allowed, you know, mom and pop to have a book in their hand. Yeah. A Bible.
0: And very similarly, with your $20 posters, you built a similar empire, in a way. In a way. In a way. I mean, it's very close. And you are, you mentioned you're the last descendant of Gutenberg. Um, actually, I said that. You said you're a descendant of Gutenberg. I, I kicked it up a notch and said <laughs> you're the last descendant of Gutenberg. Uh, do you, are you training anyone to do this? Or do you, because this can't possibly oh, die for 700 no, over years? The, over the year, well, it,
1: it was, there was, it was. You're dying. like a monk. Yeah, you know, 20 years ago, it was dying. And, yeah. and, and there was not a lot of it coming out. Yeah. There, there was a handful of guys, you know, keeping it, keeping it going but i trained an army in 20 years and, and probably eight or ten of my kids have their own shops now scattered oh, about even one in mexico city hmm. so we we helped bring it back uh we, we we spoke on the college scene for a long time through the aiga which is american institute of graphic arts which was that's the church for for designers and um, college programs and i i think i was an interesting cat for those guys because you know Every, every college, every program would have a graphic design program with two, three hundred kids in it. They would have a fine art print shop with eight or ten kids in it. All of a sudden you had 200 kids excited about type design and image in the print shop. And of course, what did they all want to do? And what did they all do is they all wanted to make free rock posters because that's the sexy beast. <laughs> right. You know, that's you know, that goes to comics that that cuts through. Mm-hmm. contemporary society in a lot of ways and so suddenly you know we I destroyed an industry of, of poster making that I had built because who wants to pay when you can get it for free mm-hmm. nobody nobody and I those don't. kids have a million dollar facility to work in and they're making lithographs they're making etching silkscreen you know letterpress they're making it all and doing really really top quality work but that's a cannibalistic endeavor because they you know it destroyed the poster business for me, so I had to find other avenues to, to pay the bills and, and make work. And you fall back on fine art and advertising and your design and all that. So you, I, I could do that. I, could, I can roll roll and flow with it all. But these kids, you know, they're they're in the print shop for two years making free posters. They're cool. They get out of school. Then what do they do? The kids behind them are making free posters. No, you know, so the, they've got no avenue to make a living. They can sneak back into the shop. Usually when you graduate college, you get back in the print shop for six months to a year. Sure. Till they kick you out. Right. And then you have to invest your life and fortune in machinery and building a studio. But meanwhile, all the ones behind them are, are still cooking with free stuff. So I it see. really cannibalized the thing. Plus, the music industry changed so much in a period mm-hmm. of five to ten years that, you know, musicians who had been playing for 30 years didn't even recognize their own profession i mean record companies once were the coal the coal mine you know they owned hmm. it all and all of a sudden they were almost irrelevant overnight yeah with the rise of social media and digital so everything is constantly changing but the, the true the only thing that holds it together now is just keeping it alive and doing it and i'm one of my slogans is i'm probably never going to get rich but i'm always going to have something to do
0: <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah. you know and
1: at the end of the day that's kind of comforting
0: not for me but I'm glad it comes. well you, you. know
1: I, I'm a working guy I'm a blue collar guy yeah. so I'm, I'm hopefully, gonna, I'm gonna hopefully if you do good work someone's always going to hire you to do more work but there's always going to be something to do and it's, it's your job as an artist as a designer to always you know, tell kids you're as good as the last thing you make for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and that's who we are no matter what we do Yeah. that's how how it rolls and if we're, you, you do shitty work then eventually you won't get to do people won't pay you to do it so
0: yeah but eventually not after one you know one bomb doesn't trust me no exactly one bomb no, no, doesn't no, exactly. keep you out of the film industry no
1: exactly exactly
0: uh, that i can attest no. to
1: you you have to risk killing it to save it and i i get it i get it
0: that took a dark turn and
1: and, and, and yeah we we um we we're as good as what we do and sometimes you know it sucks for all the wrong reasons. We put all the love and soul and heart we can into everything we make. Yeah, Mostly we win, but, you know, it's a the good fight. It's a good fight.
0: Yeah. No, it is, it is a good fight. Um, and speaking of good fights... One of the cool things that you do all the time is one of the not all the time, but one of your specialties is fighting posters, boxing posters, pro wrestling posters. These are great, they look like you know ones from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. They're the amazing replicas. Oh, it's <laughs> how
1: well they're not replicas, but it's how they were all made. It's the process. And, oh. You know, you see any boxing movie, a gem's going to be full of old, beautiful yeah, like, yeah. those posters. That's what it was meant to do. Yeah. yeah, live and breathe. I think you know what happened to it. Back you know, probably 50s, 60s, 70s, there were still some big shops able to crank that stuff out. But what happened was, you know the technology, the posters started getting slicker and this and that, but they, they lost a lot of all that character they had. Um, what happened to Letterpress and the job shops? I had one of the guys come visit me from, uh, he's from up in Indiana, the big poster company up there that made a lot of the posters out of Chicago. And there, and there were five or six big shops back in the day. It's
0: where Vandercook is made, by the way, Chicago, Illinois. Shout out! Shout out! I love Chicago. I'm from and, Chicago. And so uh,
1: the guy comes down, and he was seeing I was selling you know big woodblock prints for five hundred dollars, and he's like, "What the hell's going on? He wanted to come down and see how I was able to do that because <laughs> he, wanted he had in a job that. shop, and, and they they were straight poster guys. There was one here in LA that just closed down as I moved here, but so the guy comes down, one wanting to know what the hell was going on and how I was able to get $500 for a sheet of paper <laughs> because he was still making 50 fish fry posters for the VFW for fourteen ninety five. Right. And if he used the wrong shade of red, they wouldn't pay That's him. That's it, yeah. And that was that model, that old model. And I, I'm trying to explain, you got to get some some artists and designers and there's some kids with some passion and and make art. You, you, it's a resource, you got to use it. It's, it's a Ferrari, you got to drive it, you know. I've got all the type in the world, but it's not about having all that. It's about what you do with what you got. At the end of the day, it's it's about with every artist, every studio, it's about using what you got to make what you can, you know. Yeah. And and so I gave him a stack of posters, he'd given me a stack, and you know, we parted ways, but I'm sure I changed his thoughts on the deal. But you know, what happened to that kind of poster was. You might get a rainbow background, which is all the rage here in California, Mm -hmm. by the way, or a yellow background and just black type on it. And you would see those on light poles for the last 10, 15 years. And now even that has switched over to silkscreen because it's a cheaper method and you don't need all this old stuff. Right. So so the art kind of went out of it. And and I came along at a time to bring color and movement and type and content, concept. Content is king. You know, you Mm got to have content. And if you know, young designers, and I would see this a lot because I, I would roll interns through you know, every three or four every semester for 15 years. Young designers weren't prepared to come up with their own content. Their, the training they were getting was that you supply them with the parameters of everything and they, they can only move within that space. And then you would have the artist kids who, who could construct and build out of their own head but they didn't have the the background in typography or design, and so it would get real clunky in there. So it was always trying to mix and mold and help and ease along. All these, and somewhere, all these concerns have to meld together to make, you know, to make a cake. I sure. Say.
0: Well, one of the things I'm really curious about, since we're talking about these types of posters, you have so and essentially you have what would be uh, an older form of clip art. You've got drawers filled with pictures that yep. are stamps. You've got, some, you've, I mean, you've got all the old pro wrestlers, a lot of old boxers. When you stamp them, they look like the picture. So I'm curious, A, let's talk about that first. How is that process made? Because obviously a stamp, like a letter, I get. It's just a, a metal mold that's in the shape of a C or an M or whatever. But how do you get a picture that you can then stamp onto a piece of paper?
1: Well, you know, back when starting probably in probably 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, when, when printing was done, you know, magazines, Life Magazine, they were there. All that stuff was once probably letterpress, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But photo engraving, uh, there were photo engraving shops, there were engraving houses. And if you needed your logo onto a cut or a photograph, you would send it off to these guys. They, they would develop it onto the metal photographic process and then etch it with acid with a dot screen pattern. And so, you know, the, I think the height of the technology might have been something like 90 dots per inch. A very fine dot, and, and you don't want to deal with it because they clog up, you know, the pain in the ass. You want about 60 dots per inch, it prints a lot easier. But it's low tech compared to a magazine today, it's what 2800 dpi incredible clarity that otherwise wouldn't exist. But these guys were incredible craftsmen, they could separate the colors of the photographs and make four different plates that you printed on top of each other, it would print, you know, super beautiful. So it, it was an art form, uh, just a, a lost process, I suppose, today. And there's still one day, A&G Engraving. Hey, guys. Love you guys. Shout out. Shout out. Who uh, will still make printing plates and, and whatnot for all the printers left in L.A.
0: Now, if you don't have so some of the stuff, you actually can whittle out of wood blocks, right? Have right. you done that? How, how does that work? Do you draw it Oh, well,
1: it on- it's... You know, very basic. I mean, that you know, woodblock printing goes back to what China and Japan and, and Asia and the
0: sure. I'm gonna take even old it.
1: way older than Gutenberg. You know, a thousand yeah. years pre him. But the wood, the idea of woodblock carving, what you carve away, prints white, and what you leave, prints black. And then, if you're doing color work, then you need a separate block for each color. But, and then all the decisions are the artist. I mean, if you. You can print red over blue and make purple. You know you got the color wheel involved there, and mm-hmm. so you got all those decisions. But still, that's that's a hand endeavor, and I still offer that service too.
0: So you do carve these things out of wood. Yeah. So that so very similar to whittling. You've got to be. It's, yeah, it's it's a fine totally. craftsmanship. You're just, you're
1: just whittling. You're whittling. You're just whittling. That's a, <laughs> nothing to it. Making sawdust. <laughs> uh, no, 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 and it's really cool, and that's really unique, and I love the texture of wood. And wood demands patience. And wood is, you know, it's, that's another son of a gun. You can't rush it, and you have to abide by the, the laws of the process.
0: So now, now tell me about tree.
1: Yeah, my Storytree series came yeah. about back in the heyday of, of my previous big shop. Uh, I'd be home every night carving wood blocks to print the next day. So I'd go from, you know, basically we play music all day in the studio, 15 hours a day, to, uh, you know, work, work too. And that's, that's, you know, that's a part of the creative process too. you got to have some music. Mm-hmm. But at night, I'd go home in my studio and I would have, I had a TV in the corner. And I, might, I was started, uh, I got hooked on the Rockford Files, all-time favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. And everything I knew about L.A. came from watching that. But I would be, uh, I'd have a TV on, so I'm carving wood, but you can't watch it. I mean, it demands all your, there's no Command X in wood carving, right? You make a bad cut, then it's, you can either save it or you can't. Mm-hmm. It, so it's a real thing. Or, you, or you're going to stab yourself. And you know, I've got the scars to prove it on that. Right. But I I've noticed that I like the noise of the TV. It put my head in a different space. Mm. And it's still true to this day. And I like to, to have that noise on when I'm carving blocks. But... I was, um, especially from the Rockford Files, I started hearing all these just great lines. Like, you know, I ain't going to eat no baby fish or whatever it was. Sure. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. It's classic. So I just started writing sentences down as I was working. And it uh, just amassed itself to like 400 pages before I knew it. They wow. were on scraps of paper and napkins or whatever I had handy at the moment.
0: Just lines that you like. Just, just lines that <laughs> I like. So I had
1: this volume of stuff to deal with. And I, and I thought it was brilliant. To, uh, you know, it goes back to maybe William Burroughs and those guys doing the cut ups in the what, 60s, late 50s, where they were just cutting lines out of books and making Mm -hmm. stories. Same continuation of that idea, I suppose. But I really liked it. And so I had to find a format for it. And I I love seeing type on paper. That's my thing. So, you know, I just called them word paintings. And uh, coming from my Nashville days, I had a lot of friends who were poets and musicians, like Lucinda Williams and Steve Earle and those guys. And uh, my buddy, R.B. Morris, down in Knoxville. And their line was, uh, you can't corrupt poetry. There's no money in it. And so <laughs> I called it Storytree. And I'm like, there's all kinds of money in Storytree, guys. It's 30 bucks a page. You got to get, get on this. <laughs> so they just evolved. And then uh, suddenly I made you know a series of 25 of them into 18 by 27 inch posters that I enlarged them up to 30 by 42 inch. And then I enlarged them up to about you know, nine feet tall, 42 wow. by nine feet, and had a whole wall of just story tree. And it was just word paintings. You know, it was just typography. And it, they were just really beautiful. They were just really beautiful as, as, a, as an art piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go, well, especially in a modern home, they look beautifully framed up on a wall. And so the idea of, of type as art, which is evolving into a screenplay I'm writing over here in my robot method, mm-hmm. And it's getting rid of the art and just using the type, the story and the content as the art. Yeah. And and so it all flows together. Yeah. And then even in the robots, I, I reintroduced the idea of Storytree mm-hmm. on early in some sessions ago because I want to see letters type on the page because it's, it's,
0: to me, it's just beautiful. It's also what brought you to the dance. It's what you do. I know. You got to use it. Uh, what, what the thing kind about
1: th- letters is they make words. You know, you th- gotta, you got to have some words.
0: That's very so. true. Uh, what kind of music do you like listening to? What kind of mi- music puts your mind at ease?
1: Uh, some work favorites. You know, i got a guy out of Texas, a guy named Terry Allen. Mm-hmm. He's like the Tom Waits of Texas, out of Lubbock. And Terry's been, he's, he's a little old long in the tooth now, but he's been around for a long time. Genius, genius. And he really is the Tom Waits of Texas. One of the great American songwriters in the Panhandle Mystery Band. Uh, love I love like that, that guy. A name. um, guy named Bonnie Prince Billy. Uh, Will Oldham. He, he works under a few different names. He had a band called the Palace Brothers. And he's done some acting as well. But the kids like, uh, you know, Neil Young's got 100 records and Dylan. This kid is prolific. And he's, I think I've got maybe... Twenty-five, thirty of his albums. And it's the mellow gold. That's what we call it, the mellow gold.
0: I assume on vinyl and not on and, CD.
1: Uh, CD and vinyl.
0: What? Yep, yep. You know there's a digital format on a plastic disc, right?
1: Right. I know. I, I thought
0: know. you'd be a vinyl guy.
1: Oh I, Well, I have vinyl. I just, I my truck was full, man. I couldn't bring it out here. And, and <laughs> All records right. are heavy as hell and they take up a lot of room.
0: All right, fair enough. That's, so, that's fair.
1: I, uh, I'm not against it.
0: Uh, so now where can people find you? It's promo time, Kevin. Let's talk about where can people find you online because you've got an incredible Instagram account where people can just see your beautiful work. You
1: can see us at the Church of Type on Instagram. You know, and that's kind of my main art outlet right now. And I've got the Church of Type Facebook. And I'm not posting there all that much these days on the Facebook, but I do love the Instagram. And mm-hmm. it, that has been really inspiring. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of art love on Instagram. And I, I've met a lot of kindred spirits across the country in the last few years on that uh we have a beautiful working retail print shop here in the city of santa monica california at 3215 pico boulevard and uh we're open seven days a week for the most part you know i hang out here and uh, hold court and people come see me it's awesome so if you're in the neighborhood Come on down.
0: <laughs> there you go. Church of type. Uh, do you pass the basket around when people are here to get a little bit of that uh, No, but because I'll
1: you know, I try to sell you a poster while you're here. That's I do that. Same in a thing. Subtle way. Yeah, same but thing. But I have a very low pressure sales approach too. So come it's on true. in. We'll give you a cup of <laughs> coffee, whatever it takes.
0: <laughs> um, well Kevin, thank you so much for sitting down with me, man. I really appreciate hey, it. What this a has pleasure, been incredible.
1: Man. This is beautiful to share. We're I'm a hermit. We're hermits in here and, and we yeah. don't get out much.
0: So. You're v- way more um, sociable than most hermits that I've encountered. You know, because the most when I think of hermit, I think of old cooters from the south exactly. with, with type in their basement. But that's not you, man.
1: Well, I've still got a little time to be that grumpy old guy. You got that's time. Where, that's coming. That's coming. That's,
0: that's the trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. Thanks for being hey, on the a show, pleasure. man. Thanks, you guys. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating nouns is a Glenn Co production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. You can check me out on the web at fascinatingnouns.com and find all the social media links at the bottom of the page. Twitter is at fascinatingnoun, that's singular. Pinterest.com, where you can find all sorts of boards from every show that I've done. Pinterest.com backslash fascinating noun. That's the singular world. The plural world, we'll look at uh, Facebook. Facebook Facebook.com backslash fascinating nouns will also give you everything that we're talking about here, uh, keep you up to date on the new episodes, and if you like being up to date on everything that I'm doing, at the bottom of the page, you'll also find a newsletter you can be a part of, and let's not forget the Instagram feed uh, at the Daniel J Glenn so you can check out not only this but other all the other projects that I'm working on and to top it all off I have supplemental material both for this episode and for past episodes you can check out the YouTube link at the bottom of the page and check everything out there thanks for listening end of transmission <laughs>
1: you